This is the Les Grobstein and David Schuster Express Express. on 1252 And welcome into the latest edition of the Grabstein Schuster Express. It's brought to you by Nick and Ivy's Brewery in Lockport. It's located at 1026 South State Street. Again, that's in Lockport. More from our sponsor a little bit later on in the show. But Les, we are live tonight. We're live on Facebook. We're live on YouTube. We're live. I don't know. We, we could be live halfway across the world for all I know. Well, if we're on Facebook, we are live across the world, but it is Sunday evening. We're going to wrap up all the sports that has happened this past weekend, this past week. We're going to look ahead to the Bears draft, which is coming up a little bit later on this week. And we also have a very special guest, John Greenberg, the lead columnist from The Athletic here in Chicago, will be joining us. Les, good evening to you. You too, David. I'm glad John's coming aboard. He's written a couple of stories uh, with me and about me before in the athletic and uh, he's a terrific writer and we're talking about a couple of other projects which uh, i'm not at liberty to talk about yet because it's not a done deal but we're talking about some really cool things and uh, i think john will be a great guest here on the show oh i'll get those bamboo shoots under your fingernails i'll i'll get it out of you before it's all said and done less want to bet <laughs> no you don't bet you don't bet and you don't drink but you're still I one of the drink, most but I- I do bet. Back you earlier bet. in the day today, Kathy and I were talking about uh, one time when I did the, uh, uh, I, I was at uh, the casino way out in, in Elgin, and I did Wheel of Fortune, but this was about maybe 10, 11 years ago, and uh, I won a grand. All right, let me ask you, have you ever taken Kathy to Vegas before? Oh, yeah, we've been to Vegas a few times. Okay, so do you go into the sports book? Do you bet on the games? Do you bet on the ponies? We do bet on a sports book. In fact, when I was in Vegas for the uh, that fight between Meriwether and uh, uh, Pacquiao, uh, she was back here in Chicago, but um, she wanted me to that, – that was the weekend of the Kentucky Derby, and she had me place a couple bets down for on that, one of which they came in because uh, I think I bet the horse to place, and it did finish second, so it worked out okay. But, uh, yeah, she does that. Um, she doesn't do too many of the casino type things that I like to do, but, uh, uh, she'll go off on her own and, uh, basically do a few things like slot machines or whatever, but, uh, yeah, she likes to do it. Okay. And it's Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather, not Floyd Merriweather. Just so you know. The way that fight was, it might as well have been, um, Merriweather. It might've been Mary and uh, whomever, because that was a, that was a bust. It was a terrible fight. I do remember that night, and, and thankfully I didn't pay the ninety nine ninety five or whatever the hell it was. I watched that fight at Jim Rose's place. Jim Rose had a place uh, in Chicago, and we had a bunch of people over at his place that night. His wife made some really nice food, uh, and and but the fight was terrible. You're 100% correct on that. Well, and Pacquiao didn't that. throw any punches. Pacquiao did nothing. and He didn't admit that he had a bad back until after. He was in there just to get the money. Well, nothing they were else. both. They were both in there to get the money. And, and actually, Pacquiao did have surgery. It was on his shoulder after the fact. But that, that fight was five or six year, years too late anyway. There's no question about that. When we, when I was told we were going out there to do a couple of shows from there, and I remember telling you about it, you said, boy, I'm jealous. This is going to be pretty cool. It turned out to be Buster Brown. Yeah, actually, it, it was not good. And, and I was very jealous that, I, that you did go there. And I was lucky when I was working at the score I think HBO uh, was the one who sponsored it. I went to a couple of fights out in Vegas. They were really great. They put us up. I think at one time I stayed at uh, the MGM. Another time I stayed at, uh, I'm terrible on the names of the hotels. But I, MGM I know is where the fight was. The, the fight that I was covering was at the MGM. Uh, uh, it was in their uh, little deal right across the way from the hotel. And um, it was done nicely. Yeah. 
Anyway, all right, let's let's talk about baseball again. We're going to bring in John in just a little bit, but let's talk about baseball. Let's wrap up the weekend. The Cubs uh, reverted back to form, if you will, today. They were hitless wonders, although that name has been used uh, by the White Sox in the past, but the Cubs have turned into the hitless wonders less. Yeah, they had a couple of big games where they scored in double digits against some lesser pitchers. Today they went up against Woodruff, who's a really good pitcher. We're doing this live, of course, on Sunday night, and if people hear it later in the week, that's because they're hearing a tape of tonight's live uh, event, but less, I'm going to say it for the gazillionth time. If you don't have any speed in your lineup and if you don't have a leadoff hitter to set the table, it, it's just no good. And that's what the way it, it's just three years or four years now, almost ever since they won the championship back in 16. Um, they just don't hit less. And you know, when they don't hit, you're not going to win. Arietta wasted a pretty good performance on his own today. He pitched well. Nico Horner, who did not start on the major league roster, he's kind of kept him alive a little bit. He's he's pretty good, decent uh, defensive player, everything else. But boy, that team right now they just uh, they're way off the rail. Uh, they're not, they're not looking good at all. And uh, you know, I mean, uh, there was one ball hit into the teeth of the wind early in the game by Javi Baez, which on a normal day would have been a long home run, but. Uh, so what? They ended up losing six to nothing. They might have lost six to one. Yeah. Um, the White Sox, on the other hand, they won today's game eight to four. So they sweep the Rangers. They've won four in a row. They're now four games or three or is it three or four games over five hundred? But really, the key part of today's game is Michael Kopech. Unless if he stays away from injury, which he's had in the past, he's had the Tommy John already a couple of years back. Now, if he stays away from injury, less I think we're seeing. I don't want to jinx the guy, but we're seeing a potential great pitcher. Uh, he already has great stuff, and, and it's going to be really interesting to see how they use him going forward. But, you know, right now, I just really like what I see out of him. He had 10 strikeouts and four innings of work. Um, he got the win today. And uh, there's other good things about the White Sox. I like what I see from Nick Madrigal. I think ultimately he'll be the number two hitter in the lineup as opposed to down in the lineup. Tim Anderson, you know, tell me if I'm crazy here, Les. Anderson and Madrigal, and I, you know, this might be blasphemy, as a one-two punch ultimately down the road and defensively as your shortstop second base combo, can they somehow even be even a, a lesser Trammell-Whitaker combination like the Tigers had back in the day? Maybe Fox and Aparicio. Aparicio, of course, led off. Jim Landis also led off at times, but uh, Louis Aparicio is a leadoff guy, didn't hit many homers, although the first White Sox game I attended in my life in 1961, he won the game with a game-ending home run against the Twins. Nellie Fox was a guy that you just, he just never struck out, made great, and he was the MVP in 1959 when they won the pennant. No fluke there. Um, if you're looking for home runs, and, you know, again, Timmy Anderson, he's going to lead off several games with home runs, or even if he's batting second or whatever, um, with Fox. But, yeah, Trammell and Whitaker – I mean, it's a totally different it, – it's apples and oranges. Those guys are incredible. Yeah, I just like what I see out of Nick Madrigal. I mean, he won last night's game with uh, – and actually, you know, the right fielder should have caught that ball. But immaterial, he won the game with what turned out to be a game-winning – was it a single or double? I forget which in, – in the bottom of the ninth inning. And he's uh, – I think he's over 300 right now. I just like this guy. You know, he's diminutive. He reminds me a lot of Dustin Pedroia, you know, uh, not only diminutive-wise, but the fact that he makes contact and comes up with some big hits. Obviously, your man, your man, uh, um, uh, Mercedes, has been a real story so far and has made up for the injury to Eloy Jimenez. I mean, Mercedes is is still batting over 400 less. I mean, it, it might not last much longer, but for right now, what a story that is. And what was great about, yeah, he's been terrific, but over the weekend, I mean, they played the Rangers. And it was at the White Sox against Texas or against Tochas. They sucked. Another one of your lines that I've heard a billion times, but that's okay. A lot, of, a lot of new people are listening to us for the first time, so it's okay. Um, all right, so that's the Cubs and the White Sox. We got John Greenberg. He's in the green room right now. We're going to bring John in just a couple of seconds. Uh, before we get to the Bears draft, I hate to say this, Les, because you wanted to go see a playoff game at the United Center. You're not going to go see any playoff games. It's not going to happen. The Blackhawks are five points out of the playoffs. They're not going to overcome that deficit. And now the Bulls, after Washington won his game tonight, the Bulls are now two games out of a play-in situation. So though both teams gave us a little bit of a thrill here and there, 
Neither one has gone to the playoffs, Les. That's a lot of lost revenue for the Words family and the Reinsdorfs. Agreed with you on that. And the Bulls now, they have another game left in South Florida against the Miami Heat. And, boy, I tell you what, they, they made a hell of a comeback. I thought uh, the game on Saturday night, uh, they were getting blown away. And then they came back, and it looked like Miami was just kind of waltzing through it a little bit. And then they made a couple of big shots. And if it wasn't for Jimmy Butler, I think the Bulls might have won that game. All right, and let's talk about the Bears real quickly before we bring John into the podcast uh, tonight. Do we have to? Do we have to? Yes, we have to. He's gonna he's gonna, he's gonna add class and professionalism to what we're throwing out here. Well, the I'm not talking about that for John. I'm talking about for the Bears. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about the Bears because there's still a, always a story. Um, <laughs> listen, they've already made their bed with the quarterback. A lot of people still seem to think they're going to trade up. No, they're not. They, they're unfortunately. There's five good quarterbacks. They're probably going to go within the first 10 picks. And it looks like to me, Les, that they're going to go for an offensive tackle. What do you think they'll do? Either go for an offensive tackle or pick up the defensive back out of Northwestern, Newsom, who could do a good job of uh, – they got an open spot there. But that offensive line is pitiful. It is pitiful, and I I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. If they don't take – an offensive tackle with that number 20 pick, uh, somebody ought to have their head examined. But uh, and look, they're they're bad. They're, they're going to be bad. And I don't know what Andy Dalton's going to do for them at all. I don't nothing. know. He's not going to no. do nothing. you got him and uh, you, you, you've got Foles. And, and what else are you going to have? I'll tell you, there's, there's probably a lot of washed-up quarterbacks who are hoping that Ryan Pace at some point gives them money like he's given everybody else. Because that's really, when it's all said and done, Ryan Pace's legacy in Chicago will be that he screwed up the quarterback position and gave away a lot of money to a bunch of guys who couldn't play the position. Well, yeah. And, I mean, it was not just the quarterback thing by not taking Watson and by taking Trubisky. And he traded up. Remember, you think they wouldn't have had him number three overall? Then they would have had to have settled for either Mahomes or Watson. That whole thing would that was screwed up more than anybody even remembers or cares to remember. And I don't blame people for not wanting to, but um, that, that is one of the all-time, all-time mess-ups. And the Bears have had a lot of them over the years. You know, I said it that night. I've said it every every night ever since. But that particular uh, what transaction by not only trading up, which was just adding idiocy to dumbness, but the fact that he even got Trubisky – Set that franchise back five years. What do you think? Uh, minimum. It might even be worse than that. And right now, they're not they're not willing to admit that they messed it up. By the way, uh, our longtime buddy from yours and mine, Kenny McReynolds, is texting. He just says to say hello. And he's tuned in along with several others. Uh, and, and we're getting uh, messages. By the way, my text screen is another way that people could also get in. And that's uh, 312 Six four four six seven six seven, and I use that on the radio on the score. But uh, if anybody wants to text us now, we'll use it that way as well. Fair enough. And don't forget, everybody who's listening, we have the stump the grabber um, segment at the end of this podcast, where you know I'll have some questions. But if you have some questions and you want to try and stump the grabber, which is uh, you know not so easy to do, um, then you know send them in. Uh, you know. Uh, send them into our live feed here, and we'll do that at the end of the show. But for right now, let's let's uh, pretty up the show. Theo, and, uh, and he is a good-looking guy. Uh, John Greenberg is the lead columnist and really a good writer for the Athletic in Chicago. And you can follow John. Look at him. Look at how good-looking he is with that. He's wearing his yarmulke tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling it was for a different reason other than that. But uh, hey, uh, John, how you doing? Welcome aboard to the Express. I am glad to be here on the Express. It feels like we're in a press box somewhere, and I got the best seat in the house next to you two. And, and John, you know from firsthand experience that Les and I have <laughs> traded barbs and press boxes for I hate to say it decades now. Oh, I mean, you guys are what do we call you guys? The Waldorf and Statler of uh, <laughs> the press box. Oh my gosh, uh, the Statler, and there is a Statler here in Chicago too, but I don't think there's a Waldorf here. You got to go to Manhattan for that one. 
Yeah. I thought we were. I thought we were actually the Hagler and Hearns, and of course, I I was Hagler. Yeah, oh yeah, I would go with that too. I, I would give you that as your as the boxing expert. Uh, you have to be one of the last boxing experts we have left. I still love boxing. I can't help it. I just can't help it. Anyway, John is the lead columnist for the Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at John underscore Greenberg. John, first question right off the bat, and I had a little Twitter battle with a couple of my followers. Madison Bumgarden uh, through the seven-inning, I'm not going to say it's a no-hitter. It's a seven-inning shutout in my book. Unofficial no-hitter is what they're calling it. They're calling All right, it so out. what do you think? Is is that a no-hitter, or is that just a, a very good performance over seven innings? I, you know, I think Major League Baseball will ultimately decide what it is and what it is not. You know, that's a, I mean, it's fun because everyone loves arguing over semantics, right? Like, it's just like the perfect – it's the perfect baseball argument. I'm glad we can still have it because it's completely meaningless, totally semantical. I, I think I, I think Herb Lawrence, you know, the producer of the score mentioned, just, you know, call it a no-hitter and put a little – I guess you could put a little asterisk next to it. I mean, there's no record books anymore, right? Because I tried to buy like an actual print record book for my son. You can't find him anymore. So when we say record books, it's basically baseballreference.com. It's like where you would put the asterisk, asterisk. So I think because baseball made the rule, right? Like I give it to him. And, you know, I mentioned it was seven innings. Is this a yeah, record book a special rule. Like, like the one I'm holding up right now? Yeah, that's a good one. Who made that one last uh, this was made by the Sporting News a long time ago, and uh, right. Why don't they make they got to make those again? Because I, I, wish I they wanted to get one for my son just to put in his room. Les it's has them all in his basement. Beautiful picture in here, right. which you can see. This is George Herman Ruth in there. Kind of cool. That's cool. But, but correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Didn't Major League Baseball in 1991 say that any game that's not nine innings or longer is not officially a no hitter? They did. Okay, I mean, I trust your, I trust your recall of that. Uh, what, what year is that? Ninety one. Ninety one. So okay, I was thirteen, so I, I don't remember that ruling as well as you guys. But yeah, so that, that's the rule, and that's the rule. I don't, I wouldn't argue that. Oh, well, you know, it's really funny, John. Um, you're you're going to laugh at this, at the irony of this, but I'm against seven inning games. I'm against. <laughs> I'm, you're laughing. I'm against. I'm against uh, the tenth inning where they start with a runner on second base. That's and complete I'm, horse crap. That that rule is complete horse crap. But we can come up with more in hockey. I can't stand the three on three in regulation uh, regular season overtime right. shootout. And I, I I could go on and on and on. We could be here till tomorrow morning. Okay, but but yeah, the, the the irony is for me. I mean, John knows this as well as anybody. I hate long baseball games okay i'm the king of those and you know you've called you've called it what they are less but i just think when you bastardize the sport as much as baseball has done and now talking about a seven inning no hitter i don't know it just it 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 unromanticizes the game for me and that's why i again it's sort of funny because i hate long baseball games that go on and on and on and on and actually i have a memory later on in the show here but i just don't like it what do you guys think you know, I, I think um, I heard someone say today, and I think maybe they should start, if they're going to do that runner on second, maybe do the 12th. I think I heard Gordon Whitmire say that on, on a, a pregame show today. Like, maybe it shouldn't start at the 10th. Because what they're really trying to do, I get, is, is save the bullpen, right? They're trying to save bullpens and save from people extending. So I, I think I think they could adjust it and maybe make it till the twelfth inning. I think tenth. I think the tenth is a little early and it's a little jarring, right? Because everyone turns, everyone's watching the game. They're like, "Wait a sec, what did I miss? How did I miss that guy getting? I think I get the second. So I think that's a nice rule they could they could tinker with a little bit. I don't mind tinkering with. I don't mind them trying to you know trying to fix things a little bit. So you know, as far as less as hockey problems, you know, I don't watch enough hockey games to really have. Uh, well, That's I will say this. <laughs> Rob Manfred is full of last week's lunch. In other words, he's full of crap. He, he, he's, he's, what he's come up with, I mean, he's made Beavis Bettman look like he has actually a half a brain. And, and Beavis <laughs> Bettman, I mean, come on. I mean, and, and then you go over with some other things, too. You could call with uh, uh, what David Stern used to do in the uh, NBA. Now, unfortunately, he's long past the NBA, they don't call traveling anymore. That's ridiculous. That sucks. Uh, well, how about the Euro step and stuff? That's not That's not basketball. It turned it into a whole complete farce. Les, have you ever liked any commissioner in any sport ever? 
I uh, have to go back a ways and all. I think that uh, uh, there were some in baseball that were just as bad in the past. All right. We're, we're not talking about Judge Landis here. Who, who have you liked over the last 80 years? Um, <laughs> I can't think. I, I, one guy just said uh, to the uh, the effect, uh, since when are uh, baseball uh, commissioners supposed to have any brains or something along that line? You know? And then here's another one from Alan Bratcher. I would say both teams get one inning then start the 11th. Um, you know, hey, Les, uh, who, is the, who is the commissioner of the roller hockey uh, league used to cover? Did that, was they have a commissioner? That was when they, they had the Chicago Cheetahs. Right. Uh, I, know, I know who, who used to write <laughs> checks, though, for uh, playing for them. And that was George Mike and the former DePaul Blue Demon and Laker oh. great. He was uh, one of the assistant to owner one of the backup guys of the Chicago Cheetahs who happened to have Al Secord playing for them. Hey, Leslie, why don't you tell everybody, John, myself, and all the listeners who are tuning in, we got a lot of people who are saying hello to us. That's, this is great. Um, you've done a lot of play-by-play -play for a lot of different sports. Um, why, don't you, why don't you give us a list of those? I folded more teams <laughs> than anybody else in history. I mean, it, it, Chicago Hustle, uh, the Chicago Horizons, the Chicago Cheetahs. I mean, I can go on and on how many teams. I mean, I even folded a college hockey program when UIC got rid of their hockey program. And uh, they, they said, well, we want to make the basketball program big. And I worked with them for another couple of years after that. And, uh, you know, they, they said, well, we're going to fill the place up. We're going to get 10,000 every game. And unfortunately, it just didn't happen. There was other things I could take up along that, too. Alan Bratcher, by the way, says time for Theo to take over as commissioner. Let me tell you what, Theo did a great job when they won the title. I'm not a big fan of his either, to be honest with you. I'm not a big fan of Moneyball and all the rest of that crap. And Billy Bean out in Oakland, and sometimes they have good years, but when they get to the playoffs, they usually go down the tubes anyway. So, well, so who mean, would you, Les, who would you have take over as commissioner right now? And they have to be living. Let's be a living person. Who would you take <laughs> over as commissioner of baseball? Oh, goodness gracious. Um, I'd have to give that a lot more thought. I don't think there's anybody out there that could uh, clean this mess up that uh, Manfred has done. Now, it's not just Manfred that we can uh, point to. You got to remember, he can't do any of this stuff without permission of the owners. I think the owners deserve just as much blame for this whole crap as, uh, as Manfred. All right, let's talk about uh, let's talk about current baseball. John, your opinion. Uh, Les and I just talked a little bit about the Cubs and Sox. I know you're in the green room, so you heard all all we were talking about. Is there any hope for the Cubs? I, I don't really don't, don't think there is, and I think there'll be a sell off later on this season. And then with the White Sox, I, you know, count me in for being excited about what's going on with them. Yeah, I mean, I think when I do predictions, I always try to be a little rosy and a little optimistic when I do season predictions. So I had the Cubs at like. 86, 87 wins. And that, that looks like probably about six or seven maybe at the max. But even then, they're going to sell off. They got to sell Kimbrel, no matter what. I mean, unless this team gels and just starts scoring 10 runs a game and they look like a serious contender, which isn't going to happen. We know it, right? We've seen enough of these games. Got to sell Kimbrel. And then, you know, hopefully that, you know, if you're not going to sign Bryant, if you know you're not going to get him, then you got to try to move him too. He's hitting great. He's hitting like he could actually fetch you something. But, I mean, you look look what we saw before the season, though. You Darvish gets you a bunch of teenagers, you know? I mean, that's, if you wanted to get – and I talked to other executives about this, and they said this is pretty much what the market is was, – what the market was at that time. If you wanted quantity, you're going to take some real diamonds in the rough. So we'll see, what, we'll see what Jed can do. I'm actually really intrigued because we knew what Theo was going to do. He just wasn't going to sell like that. Jed's different. Jed will do it. So let's see it. White Sox, same thing. I'm excited. Who isn't excited? Yerminator? Who isn't excited about the Yerminator right now? I mean, it's such a fun story, right? Isn't it great when a team has that kind of energy and has got that kind of story when a guy like a – he's like Bobby Jenks. You know, it's like Bobby Jenks in 2005, right? Bobby Jenks shows up, and he becomes this cult hero. I was actually Googling to see if anyone named a burger after Bobby Jenks back in, in, in 2005, like the Yerminator burger. But uh, <laughs> I couldn't find it. But yeah, I mean, the Sox. What's not to be? There's no reason not to be excited. The, other, the thing that'll be funny is when the pressure comes for who Han's going to add at the deadline. And the White Sox have never. When, when's the last time the White Sox have really added at the deadline? You know, when they've had a competitive team, they didn't do it in 05. They didn't do it in 08. I don't believe, did they? 
I know but, this much. Most of the people out there that I know and that David knows were absolutely opposed to them bringing Tony Larusa back as manager. Right. If they continue to uh, be a, a playoff type of team, win the division, and even advance a little bit, what are people going to think of Tony then? Listen, I didn't really care that they added Tony or LaRusso or not. You know, I'm not the biggest person who thinks that a manager ultimately makes mm-hmm. that much of a difference. Um, although yeah, a lot they of people miss, have they can mess things up too, don't you think? If uh, things go the wrong way. Yeah, but again, the the players for the most part win the games. I mean, yes, a manager makes some decisions here and there, but Tony LaRusso has been around. He's not, he's not over the hill, demented, senile just yet. And I think he knows what he's doing. So I don't have a problem with Tony LaRusso. I really don't. No, the thing that, you know, I think the thing most people had the problem with was just what it showed, right? That Reinsdorf is kind of, is kind of putting himself in there. It's his doing. The owner. It's his right, doing. But most, yeah. And most owners leave the baseball stuff. Do you know what I mean? They leave it to their, to their people. And it just showed that he's going to, you know, get in it with it. And the fact that, you know, Rick Hahn had this press conference and talked about what he wanted in a manager and he fired Renteria, which was, you know, a pretty proactive move. And it just kind of, I think it just rubbed people the wrong way because people want to move on from the past. And that's always been the White Sox specialty, right? It's just hanging on to White Sox people. So I didn't, I like my, and my other point with him was, were you getting Tony La Russa at his peak? Right. And you know, early on, people have had some que- people definitely questioned some of his moves and his decision making in the first few weeks. But I agree with well, you. What, you if they, what if John? What if they okay. succeed? Will people get off of Larusa's back at that point? Yeah, of course they will. Know. Yeah, it's, that's life, Les. <laughs> of course they. Will. Listen, I had a bunch of people today on my Twitter and Facebook feed who were questioning what David Ross was doing. You know, with with the lineup and some of his other moves over the last couple of days. So. Managers are always going to be questioned. That's as big a part of baseball as as anything. Yeah. But again, it's the play. If the players play well and and the White Sox win games, no one's going to care that Tony Larusa was brought back by Jerry Reinsdorf. It's it's just win, win, baby. Al Davis, one of the great uh, slogans of all time, just win, baby, and he was one hundred percent correct. And most of the time, they did. The Raiders we're talking about now. Uh, that's the team that. Uh, the Bears are going to have added for their 17th opponent. We're going to know about that later on. Later this week will be uh, pick number 20 in the first round, which the Bears have. And then after that, uh, Saturday and Sunday, and it goes over through the weekend. And then we're going to find out uh, by Sunday. And then later on, about a week and a half later in May, we're going to actually see the schedule. People want to know who are they going to open with? I, I think Bear fans are glad that they didn't open with Green Bay last year. They were lucky to beat Detroit because they dropped a touchdown pass. And I think people are sick and tired of them opening with Green Bay, and that usually is an automatic loss, at least the last couple of years it was. When they opened on a Thursday night for the 100th anniversary uh, and they got beat 10-3, that was disgraceful. And you know what, you know what, Les, I was going to say, now that the late great, um, unfortunately, Chet Kopik is, is gone, I think you might have the record for most consecutive openers, you know, in, uh, attending in the media by the Bears. How many years has it been now? Uh, everyone that they opened with uh, since 1962, when they played the Niners wow. and lost at Wrigley Field. But uh, uh, actually, uh, there were more openers that Chet Kopik saw because he went way back prior to that. The one thing I do have over him is more Bear Packer games. And we're talking home games at Wrigley Soldier Field, one in Champaign, uh, also some uh, road games. They played the Packers one year regular season in 74 at County Stadium. And then the other years that they used to play in the Shrine game at Milwaukee County Stadium. And all those games and out of Lambeau. I was at more of those. I've now been to 107 Bear Packer games, including exhibitions. You know, John, um, I think Les and I drove down for quite a few of those games when the Bears played down in Champaign, and they were miserable that year, by the way. But it was always comical because the cops on I-57, especially, what is it, uh, Les Ford County, whatever it is? I mean, Iroquois they were just, and Ford both. Iroquois and Ford, they were waiting correct. for everybody. They were just salivating, waiting to take money from the people in Chicago. They set up so many speed traps, both coming and going to Champaign. It was one of the comical things of that whole season. 
Well, not only that, when they were playing in Platteville and they would have uh, the ride back, the cops are waiting for them on uh, the side road there on Route 20. And they called that uh, the Platteville 150 because they knew they were going to all be speed. And they all got busted. It doesn't matter who they, they were. Big, and the cops did not throw them any breaks either. They gave them uh, more tickets than uh, you could count as high as. So, John, what do you think the Bears are going to do? I mean, it sure seems like they're, they're not going to trade up. They have nothing to trade up for anymore. I mean, they've given away pretty much the house already. Uh, Ryan Pace will find a way, man. Oh, he'll. To, what to screw we'll it up? To Virginia McCaskey's rosary beads, if he has to. Um, so if if they stay and they don't move, I think they go receiver one. Receiver. I think they give another. Yeah, that's a Matt Nagy, another Matt Nagy type thing. He'll have the push for that. Uh, I think quarterback goes in the second with their second pick. They haven't drafted a quarterback in the second round since when left. I just did this research today. In the second round, I think we, we definitely got to go back. Uh, um, way back, I, I want to say since about uh, since about 2010. Oh, second round. They the, the last time they took a guy in the actual second round was Gary Huff. Oh my Gary gosh! Huff. Oh my gosh! The crowd, used to, the, the crowd used to chant and scream Huff, Huff, Huff. And one time, he was the backup quarterback, and an injury meant that they they were playing pretty well. Huff was brought in, and he threw three interceptions pretty much in a row. You know who they were all to, who picked all those passes off? Lem Barney. Dick Geron. Dick Geron. Dick Geron. <laughs> he picked them all off, and the Lions blew them right off the field. That's awesome. And there was all, the fans got their wish. They wanted Huff. They got him. And uh, I don't think anybody was too pleased about it. Hey John, do the Bears have a second round pick? Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah they do. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, we know who the top five quarterbacks are going to be. It's going to be Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, um, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones. Who is a second round quarterback? Uh, you know, we think it's going to be Kellen Mond. Oh, from Texas A and M is Kellen that Mond. Kid? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. If he's still there when they that's, pick, he might have been taken before the Bears well, that's, got it. No, yeah, yeah, that's a great point. That's just, you know, it could be Dave, Davis Mills if he's going to make it. So they have 20 and they have 52 right okay. now. And then they've got 83. All right, the, the kid from Florida, Kyle they, Trask. Got him for once. Is, is Kyle Trask going to be available by 52 or is he gone by then? Oh, I think he'll be available. I think they're going to have their pick of these, like, guys that all might be selling cars <laughs> in four or five years, right? You know, I, it's, what you kind of car, Jet Exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. These guys will all be entrepreneurs in a few years on link with their LinkedIn profiles. So who knows? I mean, I don't know. I'll take, I'll go with Kellen Mond. He's our, he's been the, that, one of my, one of my Bears writers sent, you know, we were joking about trading up or down and they were like, John, Learn a little bit about Kellen Mond because that's about where the Bears are going. Well, I mean, he, he's uh, he's a senior, right? I mean, he he went to all four yeah, years. Yeah, and he's played a lot of games, and that's like you know that's a big thing. Guy like Davis Mills has played. What's he played eleven? Just like Trubisky. I mean, he he doesn't have a lot of starts. Yeah, I mean, so you're talking about so, the you, know, you want a guy that's got more starts for once. Yeah, the antithesis of Trubisky is that somebody who's got some experience. Exactly. Do you agree that drafting Trubisky, not only moving up, but just drafting him in general, set this franchise back at least a few years, if not longer? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, you know, but Mitch, listen, as bad as Mitch was in some sense, they, they did get to the playoffs in two years. I mean, last year's was, you know, you want to call that the playoffs. They got grandfathered. The whatever. Exactly. I mean, it was, but, but you know what, though, like, it wasn't as quite as bad as we make it, right? I think it's just the fact that Mitch, you're comparing him to the guys that were drafted ahead of him or behind him. I mean, you're comparing him to the guys that drafted behind him. And if they would have drafted Mitch in like the second or third round, no one would really care, right? It would just be like, all right, you gave right. that guy a chance. But you know, you you trade up from three to two, it's like the dumbest thing in the world. You know, that's like that's like high stepping into the end zone, right, and getting and getting tackled is doing something like that, just completely unnecessary. 
right? No, and, and then they, they tried to make it sound like, well, people are calling us. That must have meant they would be calling, you know, calling Cle- calling uh, San Francisco. Like, yeah, it was it was pretty stupid. Hey, John, one last thing before we uh, let you get going. Obviously, there was a a big story a few days ago. Very unfortunate story about Steve McMichael. Um, unfortunately, suffering yeah. from ALS. Um, I mean, Les and I dealt with him firsthand when he was part of that 85 Bears. And and I've had some dealings with, with Steve even after the fact, after his playing days. And I've had, unfortunately, a couple of friends who, you know, were, were you know, had ALS and passed away from it's a horrible, horrible disease. You know, what can yeah. you say about uh, what can you say about Mongo? You know, it's, 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 uh, I mean, the whole thing's awful. And Dan Weeder did a great job with that story and Jared Payton with, with a, a nice interview with him for GN. And, you know, I don't know Mongo personally, so I can talk about him as just the force of nature he is and just like listening to him and just seeing how people react to him. Just to, you know, people like us that get into sports, we want people like Mongo, these characters. I don't want to talk to someone boring. I don't want to talk to someone who's just given you PR or pablum, right? You want to talk to someone like Mongo. And Mongo's unique, even for like the most unique, <laughs> like those unique characters of the 85 Bears in that generation. And there's Mongo's like up here compared to them. So I used to love listening to him. And, you know, you guys work for, the, work, you know, worked for, the, worked for or work for now the score. But I would listen to Mongo a lot of times on those, his pregame show that he would do on ESPN 1000 with Fred and Jeff Dickerson. And man, I loved it because you never knew what the heck was going to come out of his mouth. Like, I mean, and you could tell Fred was perfect to host with him because he, you know, Fred's so even keeled and he was used to working with North. So he knows how to deal with people like that. And like, really, you never knew what was coming out of Mongo's mouth. I loved it. I actually want to do a story called the wisdom of Mongo just because he has all these funny sayings. And I would love to know what everyone's like favorite Mongo saying are, because they're really kind of unique and original. Like his mind you know, just works in a different way. Um, it's just so sad. And I, I really wonder how many, like, other NFL players, especially younger ones, like the people, like, in their 50s and late 40s, how many of them see this and are scared, you know, that they that this could be them one day. Yeah. You know, Mongo, the toughest and strongest of them all, you know. It's just, it's a real sad thing about the NFL and life. Yeah, I really hope they can figure out the link, you know, between brain trauma and ALS. Yeah, absolutely. Well, God bless him. God bless his family. Go ahead. I got to work with Mongo during the period when I was between uh, stints at the score. I worked up the dial at 1000. And I actually, uh, before Jeff Dickerson took over, I I told him one day, I said, you're, this is going to be your show. You're going to take over. And I, uh, Jeff is a great guy and he's done a hell of a job, but, uh, I got to do it with Mongo a few times. I remember one time I was in San Francisco to cover a Bears opener with the Niners, and they got destroyed, as they usually did when they went to Candlestick. And I was on with Mongo, and I said, I hate this place. I hate the Niners. And from that point on, I mean, he was in my back pocket. He loved me saying that because Mongo, like so many other members of the Bear defense, they hated the 49ers. They hated Bill Walsh, et cetera. And when I went out there and started trashing them, but uh, like uh, David was just saying, God bless Mongo, all the best to him. And we can only uh, wish him, uh, you know, hopefully a miracle cure comes up somewhere down the road. Yeah. Well, you know, again, God bless him and his family. Hey, John, we appreciate you joining us. We love you, man. And uh, I hope to see you at the ballpark, but not for a long baseball game. Exactly. I love you guys. Thank you for having me. Always appreciate it. All right. You take care. That's John Greenberg of The Athletic. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at John underscore Greenberg. We still have our Walk Down Memory Lane segment and Stump the Grabber. But first, we got our sponsor, uh, Nick and Ivy's in Lockport, and we want to thank them. Hello. 
This is Paul from Nick and Ivy Brewing Company. We are located at 1026 South State Street in historic downtown Lockport, Illinois. We are very excited to be partnering up with the Fat Mike Chicago Sports Show as well as the 1252 brand because we are one of the few Chicagoland breweries that embrace sports and sports culture. Come in for a fresh brewed beer made right here in Lockport while catching the game of your favorite team. Stay for the live music that we have booked every weekend or just come for a cozy atmosphere to enjoy a good conversation with a friend, loved one, or complete stranger. Nick and Ivy makes you feel right at home no matter what the occasion is. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for Nick and Ivy Brewing Company. Visit our website for our up-to-date tap list or to go shopping on our online store at nickivybrewing.com. That's N-I-K-I-V-Y brewing.com. Come in today for a fresh brewed beer born and raised in Lockport, Illinois. Nick and Ivy's in Lockport, and I was there uh, this past uh, week, and it's a heck of a place. And they have their own brew uh, brewery right inside the restaurant, Les, and the food is awfully good as well. So I highly, highly recommend Nick and Ivy's. It's located 1026 South State Street in Lockport. All right, Les, coming up this week, it's the anniversary of which something that you're very, very famous for, um, and that's Lee Elia's tirade. And I think Mike has it already queued up. So why don't we queue it up and play it? I think it's an entirety, and I think it's going to be uncensored, and then Les, you can talk about it after the fact. When you walked in there, when I was in there with the mic, and uh, it was about uh, maybe a third of the way through, and you were going like, huh? Because you were going to come in for a second, and you were going to turn around and walk out. Uh, you kind of stayed for a while after that, and there's a whole story behind that, and we're going to talk about that uh, uh, later in the week. I'll talk about it on the air. We'll talk... And uh, there's a lot of things we want to discuss, but uh, you were in there too. You were the second microphone after me, and our buddy Mark G. and Greco was the uh, third microphone that came in, other than the beat writers who were the first ones in there. All right, let's let's play the audio of uh, Lee Elia. I forget what year it is, but we'll talk about it after the fact. 1983. Let's let's play the audio. I'll tell you one fucking thing. I hope we get fucking hotter than shit just to stuff it up them 3,000 fucking people that show up every fucking day. Because if they're the real Chicago fucking fans, they can kiss my fucking ass right downtown and print it. They're really, really behind you around here. My fucking ass. What the, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Go out there and let my fucking players get destroyed every day and be quiet about it for the fucking nickel-dime people to show up? The motherfuckers don't even work. That's why they're out at the fucking game. They only go out and get a fucking job and find out what it's like to go out and earn a fucking living. 85% of the fucking world's working. The other 15 come out here. The fucking playground for the cocksuckers. Rip them motherfuckers! Rip them cocksuckers like the fucking players! Got guys busting their fucking ass and them fucking people boo! And that's the Cubs? My fucking ass! They talk about the great fucking support that the players get around here. I haven't seen it this fucking year. The name of the game is hit the ball, catch the ball, and get the fucking job done. Right now, we have more losses than we have wins. The fucking changes that have happened in the Cub organization are multifold. All right, they don't show because we're 5 and 14. And unfortunately, that's the criteria of them dumb 15 motherfucking percent that come out to date baseball. The other 85% are earning a living. It'll take more than a 5 and 13 or 5 and 14 to destroy the makeup of this club. I'll guarantee you that. There's some fucking pros out there that want to fucking play this game. But you're stuck in a fucking stigma of the fucking Dodgers and the Phillies and the Cardinals and all that cheap shit. All these motherfucking editorials about say and fucking uh, the Phillyitis and all that shit. It's, it's sickening. It's unbelievable. It really is. It's a disheartening fucking situation we're in right now. 5 and 14 doesn't negate all that work. You got 143 fucking games left. What I'm trying to say is don't rip them fucking guys out there. Rip me. If you want to rip somebody, rip my fucking ass. But don't rip them fucking guys. 
because they're giving everything they can give. But once we hit that fucking groove, it'll flow. And it will flow. The talent's there. I don't know how to make it any clearer to you. I'm frustrated. I'll guarantee you I'm frustrated. It'd be different if I walked in this room every day at 8.30 and saw a bunch of guys who didn't give a shit. They give a shit. And it's a tough National League East. It's a tough National League, period. division they were in was going to be tough. And when he said, rip, rip me, well, they did. <laughs> they did, David, as you well remember. Look, I tried to get him to stop, and you don't hear it on this part of the tape, but in the, in the middle I said, see you tomorrow, and he goes, okay, and that was edited out of there. The fact is we all liked him personally. I think I can speak for you too. We all liked Lee Ely as a person. He was a really joy to deal with. Didn't matter. The, the, the talent wasn't there yet. They made some moves prior to the following year when they got Bob Dernier, when Ryan Sandberg became a superstar. Uh, they moved uh, Leon Durham from uh, right field over to first base. They made some other moves, too, and suddenly it became a pretty good team. And then there were some other things that we uh, – uh, they got Dennis Eckersley. They got Rick Sutcliffe, who went 16-1 and after they made the deal with the team. But they didn't make all those trades – we never would have known what would have happened in San Diego because the Mets would have played them, not the Cubs. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're right, Les. I mean, you were there right at the beginning. I was at uh, in the Dodgers clubhouse that day because Mike Marshall from Buffalo Grove, uh, we wanted to talk to him first. And then I came in and he was, you know, one third of his way through the rant. And I didn't even bother recording because you had your recorder on his desk and going with the whole thing. But I remember I just thinking to myself, and this is a long time ago, obviously, this man is breaking down. He's having a meltdown. And, and I sort of had to turn my back because I think I was laughing inwardly to myself. And I didn't want him to see me laughing because I figured he'd probably smack me or something like that. But it was, it was I hate to say it, it was a comical situation. That became a big story back then. It'd probably be even a bigger story now because of social media, which was not available back then. But there were, you know, there were no cell phones. There was no internet. But 25 years later, when they had a little thing at uh, Harry Carey's, it was put together by Bob Ibach, the uh, then Cub PR director, and they had Lee there. And uh, by that time, there certainly was social media and stuff like that. There were a lot of things <laughs> happening at that point. But I can tell you, even though there were no cell phones and there was no internet at that point, that tape was on every continent on the globe except for Antarctica within the next uh, few days. No, I think it was down in Antarctica also. And by the way, it was around the world because you made sure it went around the world. Well, there were there were ships at sea, some naval ships at sea that somehow had it uh, sent to them. Uh, it wasn't a clear copy, but uh, it was near Antarctica okay, at that right. point. Right. It's one of your many claim to fames, Les. All right, that's your walk down memory lane segment. I'll give you mine real quickly, and you'll remember this also because you were there. And actually, it was over two days. It was May 8th and May 9th. 1984, um, the White Sox and Brewers, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? That was a game that got uh, actually called off because of uh, uh, the. It, it was a long game, went many innings, and they called it off because uh, uh, basically it was suspended. All right, I'll the next day, yeah. and uh, Harold Baines ended up winning the game with a home run to dead center, right. or it would have gone 26 innings. All right, let me, let me fill in some blanks here. It was the White Sox and Brewers, and you're right. The game was called off after 17 innings, suspended because back then the American League, not the National League, the American League had a curfew rule where no game can start after 1 in the morning. And it was more than one time that this happened over at uh, the old Comiskey Park. No, it anyway, so start after 1 a.m. is what you meant to say. I'm sorry? At 1 a.m.? No, okay, I'm sorry. Okay, so anyway, the game was suspended. Uh, they came back the next day. We were there. The game uh, was picked up at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. They had to finish that game before the regular scheduled game was going to commence. And they played another eight innings of that game. And the White Sox actually, well, actually it was uh, Milwaukee. Milwaukee scored three runs in the top of the 21st inning. So they went ahead at that point 6-3, to three, I think the score was. The White Sox scored three in the bottom half of the 21st inning. It was 6-6. They went to uh, the finally, it got to the bottom of the 25th inning. It's the longest game time-wise on record in eight hours and six minutes. 
It's the second longest game in Major League history, innings-wise. And Harold Baines, you're right. He he won the game with a walk-off. They didn't even call him walk-off home runs back then, but with a walk-off home run. And then, of course, Les, you remember what happened when we all tried to talk to Harold Baines, don't you? I ain't got nothing to say. I mean, he just he wasn't mean. He wasn't nasty. He was very polite. He just didn't want to talk about it. He said, I ain't got nothing to say. And then they had the rest. And by the way, a relief pitcher got credit for the win in that game and then started the second game and got the win, the one ball, and that was Tom Seaver. That is absolutely correct. It was Tom Seaver. Um, let's see. What else? What other facts can I give you about that? Actually, the longest game in Major League history, there was one before the turn of the last century or two centuries ago now. It was a 26-inning game in 1920, but that was between the Dodgers and the Braves. And that Brooklyn game ended in Boston. A, Brooklyn versus Boston. You're right. Yeah, that game ended in a tie. So there was no winner of that game. Um, so I don't know. That was that was one of the many strange things. All right. Uh, one last thing before we get out of here, Les. And it's our famous stump the grabber um segment here, where not only can I th- throw some questions at you, but if our listeners or viewers are tuning in right now, and if they got some questions. They can send them to Mike and, and text it in, and Mike will put them up on the screen. But I'll start off, and we had we were talking about the Bears in the draft before. Um, Brian Urlacher obviously was one of the better all-time draft picks. Real simple question, Les. What college did he go to? Brian Urlacher? Yeah. New Mexico. That's correct. University of New Mexico. All right, here's another easy one for you, Les. And, again, if anybody's got some questions – Michael, put them up on the screen and we'll try them out. And by the way, if, if we get really lucky with this down the road, maybe, just maybe, I underline, maybe we'll have some prizes if anybody can stump the grabber, but we'll see. All right, the last White Sox pitcher less to win a Cy Young Award. Who is that? The last one to win a Cy Young Award. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I know the Lamar Hoyt won it. Has anybody won it since uh, the Incredible Bulk? Uh Yeah. Because I remember Lamar Hoyt won it, and he was the best pitcher in baseball in 1983. Yep. Who won it since then? I'll give you a hint. He he plays guitar, played guitar, and has played in bands over the years. Jack McDowell. That is absolutely correct. And Jack McDowell and Eddie Vedder were the best of buddies, but Eddie Vedder would say, I've never heard of him because I'm a Cub fan, and he's a White Sox player. But he was kidding, of course, uh, Eddie Vedder, who uh, you and I sat in the press box with him in the past there, uh, really, really nice guy. And, uh, yes, he was pals with Black Jack. All right, uh, Mike, Fat Mike, who uh, has a show, of course, here on 1252, he's asking you, Les, who's second all-time in stolen bases? That's career, second. Wow. Uh, at one time, Lou Brock was first, but uh, I'm going to say it was Lou Brock. Uh, Mike, is that right? I was going to throw in Tim Raines, too. I'm not really sure myself. Michael put it up on the screen here. Or he won't. <laughs> he will. Or if he wants to, so he can even pop in on the screen. He's, he's sitting in the green room anyway. Ty Cobb, Ty, is Cobb. Second. Ty Cobb is second in career stolen bases? Is that right? No, I, th- I thought that, uh, you know, Ricky Henderson, pa- I thought, passed him up. And I thought that uh, for sure uh, there were a couple of others that passed him, Lou Brock and Ricky Henderson both. But that's what I'm remembering. All right, whatever. That's what Mike had up on the screen. All right, here's here's one last one from me, less than less anybody else. Here's Mike. Guys, really quick, Lou Brock is correct. I got the wrong info from a chatter in the chat. I apologize. See? See? Don't listen to the amateurs. Listen to the pros. Not that we're not amateurs at times also. Um, all right, Les, here's one last one for but me. Who, I got one for the grabber. Who is third all-time in stolen bases? I'll say Ricky Henderson. No, Ricky Henderson is first. Ricky oh, Henderson first. is okay. number one. And then, then, Lou then Brock, Brock is number two. This is career, Les. This is career. That That's single seasons. I was going to say Tim Raines. Coincidentally... He current ha- he currently has the name of a current White Sox player. The name of a current White Sox player. So who was it? The answer is Billy Hamilton. 
Billy Hamilton. Okay. Billy Hamilton moved up the list. Well, Billy Hamilton. Okay. All right. Here's one last one for me, Les, unless anybody else chimes in. What round was Richard Dent drafted? He was about number number 12. What round? You're saying the 12th round? I know yes. this one. You're saying the 12th round, Les? I'm going to say 12th round, yeah. It's he actually, was very, go ahead, Mike. You know the answer. Go ahead, Mike. He was drafted in the eighth round. It is the eighth round. He was, and what a, what a what an incredible draft that year! It was 1983. Richard Dent was in the eighth round at number 203. Turned out to be a Super Bowl MVP, obviously less down the road. Um, but listen, listen to what that draft was that year. Jimbo Covert and Willie Galt were drafted in the first round. Mike Richardson went in the second round. Dave Dewerson went in the third round. Tom Thayer went in the fourth round. And Dent and Mark Bortz both in the eighth round. And you remember, Les, who was in control of that draft that year, don't you, 1983? 83, it was still uh, Jim Finks. That is absolutely correct. So now, Jim let, me, let me throw one other thing in there, too. Uh, when we're talking about some of these guys in the past and all, Richard Dent... About eight, nine years ago, Kathy and I were in Arizona for spring training. I took her down there, and we were coming back. We were at Sky Harbor Airport, and uh, we were getting ready to uh, jump on our plane, and some guy comes uh, up to Kathy and says, don't talk to him, referring to me. And, of course, he was kidding. It turned out it was Richard Dent. She says to me, who is that? I said, Richard Dent. She says, what about him? I said, well, he was the MVP in the Super Bowl that the Bears won. Oh, I got to get a picture with him. And. We got a picture of Kathy and Richard Dent on the jetway boarding the flight. I think you told that story last week, didn't you? <laughs> I don't know if I did or not, but we weren't live last week. <laughs> That's true. That's true. We weren't. All right. So Mike put another one up on the screen. And uh, you probably know this one, Les. What Hall of Famer? Clemente. That is absolutely correct. I was in Pittsburgh. That is that correct. Uh, he would, and he would have. He obviously would have had a lot more. I don't know how many more years. How? What? Unfortunately, he passed away in a plane crash, and he was on a humanitarian um, venture, and he, he crashed. He was somewhere toward his... Nicar Nicaragua, and he was unable to. They didn't get that far, and uh, that was the. And he did play in the playoffs that year, uh, and they ended up losing to the Reds. How old was he, Les? Roberto Clemente. He had to be about uh, 32, 33. I think he might have been a little bit older than that, but he still would have played. And Clemente is one of the greatest ball players I ever saw. Um, he could do it all. He played um, in he, 14 World Series games, and he hit safely in all of them. That's pretty amazing. Roberto Clemente was 37 years old. When 37, he okay. And, and he was a five-tool guy. And really what I remember as much as anything about Clemente was he had an incredibly strong arm from right field. He would throw you out, this guy single, trying to stretch it into a double, double into a triple, guys trying to score on at home. Um, he would throw everybody out. He had. It's really interesting because he had a great arm for the Pirates in right field. And then years later, Dave Parker, who also manned the same position for the Pirates, he also had a great arm throwing out guys on the bases. Yeah, the Cobra. Now, uh, when you talk about Clemente, I mean, I've mentioned this before. I'll mention it again, especially since we're live today. My all-time, if I could have any outfielder from any era, I would take Clemente, Willie Mays, and Henry Aaron. And people say, well, what about Mays? I mean, what about Mantle? What about Babe Ruth? Whatever. That's my three. I, I chose those two, and I'm sticking with them. And I talked to Willie Mays about that a few years ago in Arizona. And I told him that, and I said, I think you guys would beat a few teams. He goes, yeah, I think we'd win some games and we'd kick some butt. Yeah. Well, hopefully we kick some butt tonight, Les, because I know we had a lot of participation. Again, we want to thank John Greenberg from The Athletic for joining us. We're going to, you know, sprinkle in some people in the industry, broadcasting, and some athletes as well. And, of course, it's always a pleasure talking uh, any kind of sports with you, Les. My pleasure as well. Um I don't know what's going to end up happening. By the way, the uh, Braves, who got no hit in that mini no-hitter, they got shut out in both games. So I know what the headline could be in the uh, Atlanta Constitution tomorrow. Go ahead. Blank, 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 blank. Chop, chop. Oh, they don't do the chop anymore, do no, they? No, they, well, they, yeah, they still are doing it, but uh, the fans are doing it, but the organist, 
basically the chief uh, Nakahoma. No mas, no mas. I know that the Cubs are down there. They're hurting. The Braves are hurting. And you're going to have uh, Gizzard and Gazzard going head to head in this series. Gizzard and Gazzard. That's a new one, Les. I haven't heard that one before. All right. Anyway, uh, until next Sunday night, we're going to do this live each and every Sunday night. Again, we, we welcome your participation, chiming in uh, with either questions of Les and or I, and uh, whatever you want to talk about, we're happy to talk about it with you. But until then, have a great week, everybody, and we'll talk to you again.